Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Oh, it's so good, right? Alpha is coming. We've been talking about it. We're excited about it, and uh, we hope you are too. If you are going to sign up for Alpha, go out to the table today. It starts a week from tomorrow. So we're very excited. Thank you, Morgan, wherever you are, for sharing your story today. She did such a great job. Well, hey, it's great. It's awesome. It's wonderful to be with each of you today, and I'm glad that we are here. Today we are in week number five of this little series we've been doing called Made, and it's our final week. And uh, we, we've been teaching and having a conversation that is this simple yet this shaping truth, right? The shaping truth that God made you and he is still making you because he is going to complete what he started. That's what the promise is in Philippians 1.6 where he said, he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion. So God is doing some work in you and he's done work and he's still doing work and he's going to continue doing work until the very end. How many know that's good news, right? And so... No matter what the world says or promotes or tries to say is progress, you are not self-made any more than you are handmade, homemade, or American-made, right? You are God-made with his signature touch in your DNA, on your fingertips, and in your beautiful, wonderful eyeballs, right? No one else has those eyeballs except you. The Bible, God's word, tells us over and over again that each of us matter, that each of us are set apart for a special work And our title verse from this whole series is Psalm 139, verse 14. And we're going to read it together one more time. You guys ready? Let's do this. It says this. Read it with me. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Well, today I actually want to take time to end this series by declaring what and who you are not made to be. We've been declaring the unique, special person that you are and how incredible you are and how wonderful you are. But let's talk about who you are not made to be. And I know some of you are like, I already know who I'm not made to be, right? You're like, listen, here's a few examples. I'm not a morning person. I am not a morning person. I don't like to get up early. Anybody? Anybody right there with me? Some of you are like, I am not a football person. Football season started yesterday and I could care less. Anybody? Raise your hand if you're not a football person. Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not a Barbie movie person. I mean, everybody this summer was, but I am not, right? Yeah, I am not. I'm not. Maybe you're not a reader. You're not a teacher. You you know, maybe you don't like, I am not a vegetable eater. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, whatever it is. But I want to talk about what the Bible says about who you are not. All right. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter one, and also in John chapter one. And one of the very first people you encounter in both of those books is a guy named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, of course, comes on the scene just a little bit before Jesus, and he's creating a movement. There is something happening. Uh, And I've talked about JB before. I like JB. He's one of my favorite guys to talk about because because not only is he an interesting guy, but he is so important to the uh, the story of Jesus. He is what is called the forerunner, right? He is preparing the way for Jesus. And through his leadership, There is a renewal happening. There is a revival. We'll call it a revival happening in Israel, right? Things are breaking loose. Every day, crowds are gathering to hear this guy speak. He is baptizing all sorts of people in the Jordan River. In fact, he was the first person to do the thing called baptism, right? I've met some Baptists that think they're the original Baptists, but they are not the original Baptists. 
John the Baptist is because he's got the last name to prove it. The Baptist, right? So look at what it says, though, about him in Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. We're going to read about him a little bit. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Everyone say wilderness. Mm-hmm. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the, forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, everybody in the city, they went out to meet him. I mean, this is revival, right? Revival fire is coming. They were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. Well, that is chic, right? He had a leather belt around his waist. You go, bro. And he ate locusts and wild honey, Mm, right? And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Powerful, right? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, now John comes out of the wilderness, right? And he's granola. You know what I mean? He is simple. He is rough around the edges. This guy has choco tan lines nobody can touch, right? He is the guy that knew every kind of Boy Scout knot there was. He is the man. He is the real deal. And here's, though, what is most interesting about John. The whole wilderness thing is actually important. Because John's father is a man named Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest. And not just any priest, he came from the lineage of the Levitical priest, which goes all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, that Aaron, right? And so Zechariah comes from that lineage, which means John comes from that lineage, which means John has priestly blood flowing through his veins. John is supposed to be doing something. He's supposed to be like his father in the temple but he's not wearing priestly robes and ephods. No. He's wearing a camel skin shirt with a leather belt, eating some locusts and wild honey. I mean, this dude is the mountain man before mountain man existed, right? This guy, I love it. He's amazing. And he comes out of the wilderness. And this wilderness and desert thing, like in the ancient days, this would have been, this would have been considered like that's where the enemy lived. That's where darkness reigns. Think about it. Where did Jesus meet the devil? In the wilderness. Where did the Israelites wander for 40 years? In the wilderness, right? So the wil- God was in the temple. Darkness and separation from God was in the wilderness. Yet here we have John coming out of the wilderness with something to say. Something is going on. And the crowds are showing up. I want you to imagine. You've seen the old video. Some of you are alive. And I want you to imagine like Woodstock, right? Like Woodstock is happening. Instead of LSD, it's JTB all the way showing up and showing off for Jesus. He's dunking people right and left in the River Jordan saying, listen, revival has come. But he's actually saying, man, something is coming after me. And this was big, like really big. Really, really, really big. Because for 400 years, the Jewish people had not had had a prophet from God. For centuries, the way God spoke to his people was through prophets, right? We've heard of them. Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? These guys, Isaiah. there There had not been a prophet for 400 years. And so for the people, it was like they weren't hearing from God anymore. There was like silence between them and God. And so they were constantly waiting not only for the prophet of God, but for the Messiah to come. And so they're constantly on the look, 
man, we need to hear from the Lord. We know he's sending a promise that there is a Messiah coming. Is there a prophet that can tell us more about him? So you can see John shows up out of the wilderness with a message they expected to come from the temple, but it's coming from the wilderness. And they want to know more about what he's trying to say. Because even though he has priestly blood flowing through his veins. Because here's the thing about John. is He could have stayed in the safe confines of religion, right? He could have done what everybody expected him to do. But this is just a suspicion. There's no verse that says this. My suspicion is... John didn't find God there. And instead, he went into a place, the margins of society, in order to thrive with God in the wilderness. And perhaps we could say it like this if we're even looking at our own life. I don't think people are looking for us to talk about God from the safe confines of religion. But they are looking for us to be people who know how to go into the darkness and still come out stronger than the way we went in. And so listen, Jesus didn't save you from the world, he saved you for the world. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't ask you to go and do anything except to be sent as he was sent. John didn't live in the temple. John took the temple into the world. You see, that's why we say we're trying to be the church the best way we know how because we believe the best way we know how is outside of this room, in the world, living the gospel for Jesus. So let's turn to John chapter 1. The priests and the Levites were like, what is happening? Why are all these people going to hear this guy in a camel shirt talk about the kingdom of God. So John 1, verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They sent a delegation. They're like, go check this guy out. Who is he? Which is a really odd question, right? What do you mean, who is he? He's Zachariah's son. You know who he is. Like, one of the One of the most known priests in the temple was his dad. Don't you know they knew who he was? But they're like, yeah, but something's not right here. Who are you really? Are you like, is God doing something here? Are you a prophet that we need to be paying attention to? And so they start to ask him, who are you? Are you a prophet? They're even wondering if he's the Messiah. Again, they wanted him probably in the temple. This was not their plan, but how many know that sometimes... Doing what everybody else thinks you should do is not God's plan. Sometimes you're called to do something that's way different than what everybody expects of you. Verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Not a prophet, the prophet. They, they were waiting on a, a specific prophet. He answered no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. we got to tell them something. They're going to get mad at us if we say we don't know. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I love this moment. This is probably why I love JB so much. This is the crescendo, really, of what even we're going to talk about today. This is JB's words. We should all marvel at them, right? Because here's the deal. If there was ever a moment for John to stand in the spotlight and take a little bit of credit, right, this was it. He's like, oh, thank you for coming. And, yeah, we have a little bit of a revival going on here. I'm glad you came to check it out. i got a table over there with some pamphlets, tracks on it. Check that out. It's next to the hospitality table, some locust honey. Help yourself. Like, this was his moment to, to stand and go, wow, yes, 
snag a little credit. Anybody try to snag credit all the time? I mean, this is one of our issues, don't we? We, ne- we never want to let a moment pass to not let someone know when we had a good idea. And someone's like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah that was my idea. <laughs> yep. We, we, we like to take the credit. There is a moment. Who are you? How is this happening? And he says, um, I'm not who you think I am. We usually feel the need to bring attention to our accomplishments and roll with when, whatever good thing is happening. John is asked, who are you? He answers, I am not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. I am not. I'm not the prophet. Earlier this year, um, earlier this year, I taught us, uh, we did a sermon that I titled, uh, He's Him. Anybody remember that message? Raise your hand if you remember He's Him. Good, good, like 13. Cool. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, anyway, this is part two of that message. We did that message in March, so I don't know. I might need to work on the gap in between part one and two of messages Hope you remember, right? But um, the he's him title is a little bit of a play on words. It's a little bit of a play on words. It's kind of a sports analogy. Uh, you know, if you were, you may remember if you're in that message, like, for example, if someone makes like a sick dunk in basketball or, you know, hits a game-winning shot, they might yell out, he, I'm him, I'm him, I'm the man, right? Like, I'm him is like the, the statement, right? And so if you're, if you're a fan, you might post on social media like, hashtag, he's him, he's, you know, large and in charge, whatever. That's what it means, Right? And if, if you're here, you remember the message was really about the powerful name God gave to himself in Exodus when Moses asked him the question, who are you? And he said, I am, right? He said, I am. God answered him by telling him this incredible name. And, of course, Jesus later in the Gospels would claim himself to be I am. There is power, right, in the name I am. And when Jesus was being arrested, and they said, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. What happened? He said, I am he. And then everybody fell over when he said that. It was like, fell to the ground. Remember this. They fell to the ground because there is power in that name, isn't there? There is power in the name I am. Jesus said it first. He's the first one that said, I'm him. I'm him. I am translated is Yahweh. Yahweh. You guys remember that? It's the sound of breathing. Everyone say, Yahweh. Yahweh. Right? That's right. It's the sound of breathing. It's this powerful name. I am is this ever-present reality reverberating throughout history, shaking things up, meaning I am yesterday, today, and forevermore. I am running the show. I am in control. I am the, the creator of the universe. I am hope. I am love. I am for you. I am who I am. That's what God says. God says about himself, I am him. He's him. And here's John the Baptist. And he's asked the same question that Moses asked to God. They ask him, well, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he says, I am not him. The priests asked John, well, what do you mean you're not him? Well, got, surely you got to be someone else, someone important. He says, I am not. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope, not me. He's him. I'm not. So they press in and they say, okay, 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 fine. We give up. Please tell us who you are, though, because all these people are showing up in the wilderness. Surely something is happening here. And he says, fine. And he quotes the Bible to them, which I love. He quotes 
a prophecy, and he says, I'm a voice of the one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Then in verse 24, it says, now the Pharisees who had been sent, they questioned him even more. Well, then why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah? Everyone say not. If you're not him, nor Elijah, you're not him either, nor the prophet, you're not him. He says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So every word is pointing to the greatness of the one who is to come. He is the forerunner to Christ. Which, by the way, I I looked up the meaning of the word forerunner, and besides the very cool SUV Toyota forerunner, which Leslie drives, beautiful car, it literally means one that goes before or announces the coming of another. Make sense? So John is about to announce something. He says this, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. He said, this is what the Spirit has done. The Spirit came down. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain or abide on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So he sees Jesus, right? He saw this vision of the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, which we've been singing that song lately, like a dove coming down on him, resting on him, remaining on him, abiding with him, which we talked about earlier this year, right? Abiding with him. He says, look, I need to turn the attention you have on me. I need to put it on Jesus. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's attention, they're looking another way now, right? He turns everyone's attention to Jesus. He takes the spotlight off of him, and he turns it to Jesus. In the coming days, John the Baptist, the whole spectacle around him will become less and less, and Jesus will become more and more. We know the story, if you've been around it before, the disciples, they hear John say, look, the Lamb of God, and they're like, see you, John, and they go and start following Jesus. And there was no greater joy, it says, for John the Baptist than whenever he became less and Jesus became more. He was okay with this. His life was a story of clearing the way for Jesus, proclaiming and pointing people to Jesus. And here's what I think we need a reminder of today. Remember, we're talking about who we are not made to be. I think we just need to, like, breathe this in for a minute. You and me, I am not. I am not in control. I am not the center of the universe. I am not able to hold it all together. I am not the maker of my life. I am not the maker of truth. 
I am not my friends or all the people in my life. I'm not the answer to their problems. I'm not able to do what my life requires me to do. We can keep going, right? I'm not the one who deserves the credit. I am not self-made. I am not the maker of my future. I am simply not. Nope, I am not. He's him and I'm not. He's him and I'm not. Our identity begins with who God made us to be and also who God made us not to be. We are not made to be in control. We are not made to hold everything together. So you can stop trying. You can stop trying to do it yourself. We must humble ourselves before God as God who deserves all the credit and all the glory for being the one we are not. He is greater and we are less. And we often think, we often think that faith in life is about sin management. We think it's about just keeping our life in a good place so we can say, you know what? I am righteous, or I am a good person, or I am pure. We often think our faith, if it's not about that, we think our faith is about coming to church so we can say, I am committed. Or, or perhaps we think our faith is about our salvation so we can say, I am eternally secure. I got my spot in heaven, right? My mansion in heaven, right? Or, or we think, we think our, our faith is about learning about all of God's doctrines and theology so we can say, I am theologically sound. I've got this figured out. We often think not only our faith, but our life is about declaring a lot of I am statements about ourselves. We have to tell the world, I am, I am, I am, I am. I am. I am successful. <laughs> I keep picking on this, but it's just because it's fun. I am an eight on the Enneagram. I am a six. I am a four. Great. I am the boss. Good for you. Right? I am in control. No, you're not. I am woke. Great. So am I. I am holding it together. I am who I am. No, you're not. Don't try and change me. I just, that's just the way I am. We think life is about declaring with confidence who we are. But John the Baptist begins this question, who are you, with a really simple question. Well, I am not God. I am not even close to God. Yeah, 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 but, but, but who are you? I get it. You're not, okay, you're not the Messiah. You're not, you're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. But who are you? Who are you? Well, okay, okay, fine. I just need you to know. I need you to know. I need you to know. They asked him, who are you? Well, let me say first, I am not the Messiah. I am not worthy of any credit. I am the product. I am the product of the Most High, and I am on assignment from him. And, and every good thing about my life, every great thing about me, it's all God. It's all him. I give all credit and glory to him. And if you want to know who I am after that, after that, that, that thing, that foundation, well, I am the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness, uh, make straight the way of the Lord. That's what God has created me to be. See, because here's the thing. God has created you to do something and be someone, and that's what, that's what John the Baptist said after he declared who he was not. What are you made to be? Well, first of all, I am not made to be God. I will never forget that I've been created by God. And then, yes, thank the Lord he's created me unique and special. And he's given me a purpose and a plan. But I'm never going to let who I am supersede who I am not. You see how this, this, is, this, this is about humbling ourselves before the Lord, right? Uh, let's think of it like this. Just a little quick example. Then we're going to pray. But apparently, you can't be any more related to someone than your sibling. Um, you are essentially 100% related to them. And now DNA... 
you're not 100% related in DNA. Only identical twins are, twins are, aden- are, are excuse me, 100% related. But you can't be any more related than you are to your sibling, which is a scary thought for some of us. Right? My three girls are completely different, even though they are completely related. Different personalities, styles, likes, dislikes. And I was just thinking about it when, you know, just the, the simple picture of taking a snapshot of their life when they were three years old, how different they were. And all you had to do was just put a piece of cake in front of them. <laughs> Emily would lick the plate clean. She's all about it. Karis would say, no thanks, do you have a sucker? And Addie would stick it up her nose. Right? Same parents, different kids. And in some ways, this series has been about, listen, we're all, we're, we're, all, we're all the same, but we're very different, aren't we? God has created us unique and special. God has done something in you that is only for you and only about you. But if there's something that we all share, I think there's, a, there's, there's inside of us this desire, right, to, to take that special thing and to make it great. We all want to be great. Nothing wrong with wanting to be great to some level, doing something significant, something worth remembering. The problem with that, though, is our understanding of greatness. We've been made to be special, unique. We've been made to be great. But the great, greatest greatness within you is the very thing that has made you great. <laughs> Meaning it's learning to give glory to the one who made you that way. The one who made you different and special and one of a kind. I want to read 2 Corinthians 3, 8, 18 to really set up a time of worship today. And there's a lot of setup I can do with this. There's a lot of background, but I think this, this verse, if you just look at it real simply, it says all we need to hear. And it says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now here's the deal. I know you read that and you're like, I didn't didn't get all that. I think I get it. Let me just give you a really simple explanation of this verse. The more we contemplate on the glory of God, the more we give him glory for his greatness, the more transformed we will be into the image God created us to be in. We were created in his image. In the image of God, we were created. The way we are transformed in that image is by giving him more glory, by humbling ourselves and saying, I am not, I am not able without him. But as I find joy and becoming less so he can become more, as I find joy in turning the spotlight off of me and on to Jesus, the more I contemplate on God's glory, the greater my life and the greater my impact and the greater my story will be because I will be more in tune with who God created me to be. So when John shouts, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He turns everyone's attention to Jesus, right? Everyone turns and literally looks at Jesus. I've always pictured this moment like a crowd. Oh, we have a great illustration here. A crowd looking at a man. Everybody's fixed on him. Like, what's he going to say next? And then he goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the whole crowd 
turns. And there is a new focus and a new attention and a new person that they're looking at. And in this case, it was Jesus, right? And I know that even as we're here today, we have this simple moment to say, you're looking at me now, but what if right now we could turn and divert the attention to Jesus because he's here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can we put our attention on Jesus? So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to like, I'm going to literally take your attention off of me and I'm going to ask you to put it on him. And so we can't look at, we can't look at me. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I just want to talk for a minute to help you just humble yourself today, to write your heart, to give him glory today. That's what this is about. We were praying this morning. I said, we want to have a glory fest in here today. We just want to give him glory. We're deflecting our attention away from ourselves, from any people today. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the life of all mankind. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one that would lay his life down for the sheep. Jesus is the gateway to your salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And our attention right now, I just want you to put it on Jesus. If it, if it means you have to imagine him, you have to picture him in your mind, you have to just imagine what he was like, imagine him welcoming you to his table, imagine you, imagine him forgiving you, imagine him sitting with you and, and having a meal, whatever it is that you imagine. Reflect on his love because he loves you. He sees you as you are. We're going to pray in a moment, less of me, God, more of you. We're going to take a moment to thank Jesus that he made us. I just want to say one word about humility, and then we're going to give you a chance to just to, to pray those things, to worship him today. I'm not sure there is a greater Christian attribute other than humility. Just listen right now, eyes closed. Humility combined with the power of God is literally the personification and description of Jesus. He humbled himself unto death on a cross. God raised him back to life. He overcame that death with the power of his resurrection. That is humility, that is power. And through the humility of Christ Jesus, we get to experience that same power. And I believe humility has a very active posture it's a posture of lowering ourselves. And so even right now, like how could you lower yourself in your heart? We humble ourselves before God. We pray to him, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm 100% dependent on you. You're gonna, we're humbling ourselves. Just get there right now. Just get there. I want to humble myself. Less of me, more of you, God. I want to humble myself. Lord, you are great. I am not. All greatness is in, in me because of you, Lord. Less of me, more of you. Be, be glorified in and through me. Have a heart that says, Lord, when people see me, they see you. I want to walk humbly in, in Christ. I want to shine the light off of me and on to Jesus. So I believe we can lower ourselves in our heart. In other words, we can humble ourselves before him internally. And I want you to do that today. But I believe there's also great joy in humbling ourselves before him externally. By bowing to him, by getting on our faces, by getting on our knees and saying, God, I humble myself before you as my king and as my maker. 
So when we bow before Jesus, I want you to get this picture. When we bow before Jesus physically, it is literally an external physical representation of an internal reality. That I am humbling myself in my heart and I can't do anything but go down onto my knees, onto my face and say, Lord, I am nothing without you. So as we pray today, I just want to give you that picture that we're praying a humbling of ourselves internally and externally as we contemplate on the glory of God. As we worship, I want you to take time to just humble yourself. And we're just going to give him credit. We're going to give him glory. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now as we worship. We invite you to come as we pray, as we kneel, as we come before you today. We give you all of the glory. All of the glory, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? And as you stand, like this altar is a space today where you can come, you can kneel, you can get before your maker and your king. Our prayer team is here. They'll pray with you. You can come on your own. But we're going to spend a little bit of time worshiping. We're going to have a little bit of a glory fest in here. We're going to give a little bit of praise to God for being our maker, our creator. He sees you, he loves you, and he has you. Let's pray to him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.